How are you? Eh? Are you so tired? Wow. Yeah, I thought yesterday people were tired, but hopefully y'all uh, can muster some divine spiritual energy and yeah, so we can do this lesson. This is one of my favorite lessons. And I want to show you today what one word, one word will do for a story like this. Because God set on my heart one word out of this text. And from that one word, I went and I started searching and I didn't stop until I found what I thought God wanted me to find. And I'm going to share that with you today. One word. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're looking at the life of our Messiah. I would say under an electron microscope. Why this level of scrutiny? It's so that we may know Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua HaNotri, right? Jesus of Nazareth so much and so well that we can actually be like him. Okay, Matthew 12, 9 through 14. I'm going to read this to you. We're going to be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke today because all three gospels record this story, but they're different. And that's pretty exciting. Whenever you have the same story recorded, three different eyewitnesses and they get different details, it's kind of cool. And we get to go put on our forensic hats and gloves and goggles and lights, and we're going to be detectives today and see what God gives us, okay? All right. Verse nine. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. Wait, he went on from where? Well, the last story we did. Remember what the last story we did was? No. Ding, ding. His disciples and Jesus were walking through a grain field. And what story does he cite for his precedent? David and the, and the bread of the presence. What story did Abiathar the high priest or Ahimelech the high priest cite in order to make that ruling? Did he just pull that out of his rear end? Just, oh, I think you can eat the holy bread. That's no problem. No. Ask him if they've been with women th for three days. Why? Because Where'd that come from? Um, Who else told men to sever relationships with their wives for three days so that they could eat bread in the presence of God? Moses did. That's out of Exodus 19 and 24. Yeah. So that was the last story we just studied. Okay. So he went on from there, I think the grain field incident, and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, they who? Who's they? We don't know yet. Is it the disciples? Is it the... Probably the teachers of the law, the experts in the Torah and the Pharisees because they were the ones that were the they in the last story. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so, what they, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now turn to Mark real quick. Turn to Mark 
chapter 3. <laughs> Mark 3. Man with the withered hand, verse 1. Listen to this. Again, he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. How do you destroy a rabbi? Do you tie dynamite around his chest and light a fuse? Huh? No, they don't want to kill him. How do you destroy a rabbi? You find something that he's teaching to be wrong? Yes, you discredit him. You falsify something that he's taught. He loses all credibility. Nobody else listens to a word this guy says. That's how you destroy a rabbi. They weren't seeking to blow him into tiny pieces. They were seeking to destroy his reputation. Okay, that's worse than being blown up. Then you're a martyr and you die for your beliefs. But if they can just destroy him and discredit him. And so everybody sees this guy and goes, whatever. This guy's a complete ridiculous fool. Man, they've won. Turn to Luke chapter six. Yes, Luke 6, verse 6. Listen to this. Luke 6, 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with a withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Okay, this story comes right on the heels of that previous Sabbath story where Jesus' disciples are picking heads of grain. Remember, Jesus' axiom is he is not subject to the Torah interpreting itself over him, a human being. No, 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 no. The law is subject to us, Jesus says. I'm human, so I can interpret the law and subject it to myself. That's very, very, very important to remember in this story. This is evidenced in Matthew 12, 7. Jesus just says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. And we learned that this story actually has more to do with how the commandments of God are interpreted than whether or not the Sabbath was broken. That's what this story has to do with. Now you're missing some lines. Story comes right on the heels of another Sabbath story. Jesus' disciples were plucking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, eating the grain on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, these were Pharisees from Jerusalem, by the way. These were the big dogs. These were the Cambridge, MIT, Harvard, Yale professors. The Pharisees from Jerusalem were accusing them of not walking according to the traditions of the elders. Guys, this is the oral Torah. 
that many believed was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. What's the oral Torah, Mr. Dean? The oral Torah is the explanation of the written Torah. So God didn't just give him a written code and say, there you go, Moses. Now tell the people how to do it. Moses said, I, I don't even know what this means. Explain it to me. So God said, how, how long do you have? A month and a half? Moses said, sure, 40 days, 40 nights, no problem. God says, all right, let me explain to you the Torah. That's what many people believe. Well, the tradition of the elders, same thing. It's the oral Torah. It's how you live out the written code. All right. And as we learn, just as Ahimelech chose merciful interpretation of the Torah in David's situation with the bread of the presence, Jesus also admonishes the Pharisees to choose mercy over sacrifice with regards to how to interpret the Torah in his disciple circumstance. Okay. So we're going to learn that last story, the grain field story, and we're going to see in the, in the withered hand story, this is not about breaking the Sabbath. This is not about Jesus saying, you know what? I'm the greatest thing since sliced showbread. That's right. I have arrived. My bracelet says WWID. That stands for what would I do? Because <laughs> I'm Jesus. And uh, let me just show you that I'm the man. All right. Withered hand. Boom. Heal. Yeah. And everybody goes, hey, you can't do that on Sabbath. He goes, hey, it's me. And they all go, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry. Why didn't you say so, right? No, not at all. Jesus would never break one single command in his entire life because if he does, what does he lose? All credibility. And he's destroyed. He's done. Nobody else is going to even listen to him say hello. They're going to be like, out of here. You heretic. So we have another Sabbath story uh, that deals with this healing of this guy, this man. We don't know anything about him. Okay, Jesus leaves the grain fields, enters the synagogue. The Pharisees may have been silenced by Jesus about the rubbing his hands together. That's work. That's not work. Hey, I'm the son of man. All that. Jesus ends up citing that David story, which cites the Moses, which cites God. And Jesus was like, boom, I know the law. I am a lawyer. And they were like, darn it. Right. I, I, I never know what to say to this guy. He's brilliant. I don't like him, but he's brilliant. You ever met anybody like that? You don't like him, they're brilliant, but mm, they just kind of bug you, rub you the wrong way. No pun intended. All right. So, they may have been silenced in regards to plucking heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath, but does the Torah permit one to heal on the Sabbath? Mm. They want to know if Jesus considers healing work, as the oral tradition defines work. If not, if Jesus says, no, 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 healing's not work, they are going to demand justification for his blatant disregard of their traditions, which were just as binding as the Torah itself, by the way. The way we interpret it and tell you how to live is just as binding on you as when God said it. That's how they lived. I mean, it was, it was serious. And as we'll see again, this story has less to do with the Sabbath rules and more to do with how those rules were interpreted. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, Messiah, is more a lawyer 
than anything else. He's first and foremost a lawyer. And we talked about how awesome that is the other day. Do you think of Jesus as one who constantly has the Torah, the law, on his mind, looking for the most appropriate interpretations given the circumstances? See, I didn't. But that's what's so beautiful. Jesus takes your circumstance and he thinks, oh man, Brent, you really got yourself in a pickle. Let's see. I think I know how we can, we can uh, get you acquitted. I mean, that's just amazing that Jesus would do that. He would spend his mental energy thinking about the law, the ins and the outs, the ups, the downs, the loopholes, the back doors of the law in order to be merciful in his interpretation. Now, Jesus isn't going to let anybody get off free. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I saw you take the candy bar. It's all right. Don't worry about it. No way. He will by no means acquit the guilty. Visiting the sins of the father on the sons and on the son's sons to the third and fourth generation. That's who God is. God gives nobody a free pass. Nobody. And I don't think Jesus does either. But if Jesus can take the hit so you don't have to, could you imagine? Could you imagine hiring a lawyer because you'd been caught stealing a candy bar and the lawyer said, I'll do the time. I'll spend a month in jail so that my client doesn't have to. And you're like, I paid this guy like 5,000 bucks to defend me, but you don't have to serve my sentence for me. That's Jesus. So, why would the Pharisees want to know Jesus' interpretation of the Torah on the subject of healing on the Sabbath? This is weird. Why do they want to know that? What's the big deal about work on the Sabbath anyways? <laughs> Are you ready? Just listen to Exodus 31, okay? Just listen to Exodus 31. You can turn there, verses 12 through 17. Exodus 31, 12 through 17. You ready? And the Lord said to Moses, Moshe, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, what does all mean? Everything. Everything. So all means all? Every single thing? Good. God says, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Really? Above all? Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. That you may know that I, the Lord, Hashem, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. It's holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Is the Sabbath a big deal to God? Sounds like it. it. Yeah, he took like six verses and said the same exact thing, like five different ways. It's a big deal. So far, Jesus has never healed anyone on the Sabbath. He's healed a lot of people in the presence of a lot of witnesses, 
but so far he's never healed anyone on the Sabbath. Now that's going to be huge. In the Matthew account, in the Matthew account, it's the Pharisees who ask Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But did you guys notice what Mark and Luke say? What does Mark and Luke say? That Jesus asks them. And it's like, uh uh-oh, conflicting testimony, contradiction. And there's people in the Bible that say, see, your Bible has contradictions in it. In Matthew, it's the Pharisees ask Jesus. In Mark and Luke, Jesus asked the Pharisees the same question. So uh, how can you guys trust a, a book like that? Well, let's talk about that for a second. Matthew, Pharisees, ask Jesus. Mark, Luke, Jesus asks Pharisees. So who's right and does it make a difference? First of all, heck yeah, it makes a difference. And who's right? Well, we're going to see all three of them are right. If I've learned anything in my interest in law enforcement over the years, I think if I had it to do all over again, I'd go to police academy and I'd be a police officer. I love everything about law enforcement. I love the code. I love the honor. I love the weapons, the special weapons and tactics. That's SWAT. Um, I love walking by the rules. Uh, I don't like rule breakers that break them blatantly and because eh, I don't have to do that. Like I like the neat, tidy sort of, you know, I just like, I like the cars, the fast, the chasing down, bad guys, you know, all that stuff. Where was I again? Oh, yeah. Okay, so if I've learned anything in my interest in law enforcement, it's that conflicting eyewitness testimony is a sign of genuine eyewitness testimony. Differing eyewitness testimonies is actually a good thing. Now, if you'll remember the story of the calling of the first disciples from several weeks ago, Matthew and Mark tell us that James James and John were in their boats mending their nets. What does that mean? They were fixing their nets. Why? What had happened? They must have broke, right? So they're fixing their nets. Well, uh, when Jesus strolls up to them, remember, he says, hey, follow me. And they just throw down their nets and go, well, okay, we'll follow you. But it's not until we get to Luke's account of the same thing that Luke tells us, Jesus had already met Peter and Andrew in a previous story. Remember, Jesus says, hey, can I use your boat? And Peter's like, are you serious? <laughs> I've been fishing all night and you talk so much. (laughs) But yes, uh, go ahead and use my boat. Can you just see Peter? He's 16, 17. Sure, Rabbi. You know, and Andrew's like, and Jesus is like, oh, thanks. And he sits down. Can we put out a little bit from the shore? I can see Jesus playing this character of, I'm sort of oblivious. And he gets out. He says, oh, okay, that's good. That's good. And he's going for an hour. Second hour, Peter hadn't even changed clothes. He smells like fish. He's terrible. And Jesus says, hey, fellas, I tell you what, I'm finishing my sermon here. Why don't you, why don't you throw your nets over on the side of the boat there, see if we catch some fish. And Peter's like, pat, 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 sweet rabbi. You just really don't know what you're doing, do you? But okay, if you want me to throw my nets, you know, and like thousands of fish just slam into these nets and the boat starts to capsize and Peter's like, oh my gosh. And he whistles to James and John, come here. His boat is taking in so much water. Those fish are pulling the boat down underwater and they, what do you do? Cut your nets? So they're pulling against it. James and John get there. They're pulling against it. It's pulling their boat down. 
This is how Jesus tips Peter for the use of his boat. Wow, right? But what happened? So many fish pulled so hard on those nets that Luke says that their nets began to break. See, it's not until Luke's account that Matthew and Mark's account start to make sense and harmonize. Oh, they were mending their nets because they were broken from the day before when Jesus, oh my gosh, so did they know who this Jesus was? Absolutely. Did they think he's pretty cool? Yeah, they sold those fish for $250. I don't know how much, but yeah. So conflicting eyewitness accounts, good thing? Yes, genuine story. When is it a rehearsed story? When do you not believe eyewitnesses who say, oh yeah, we saw that? When they are exactly the same testimony. Exactly the same way. It's said in the same order. Everything about it is the same. Details are the same. That tends to be a, 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 a sign of disingenuous testimony. Okay. Oh, yes, let's get our story straight. Okay, you say that uh, we left at five and then you well, we left at five and then I got into the car and uh, Mark drove to the movies and then, well, yeah, I got into the car at five and Brent uh, asked me to drive to the movies. And then somebody else says it the same exact way. It's like, mm, you guys rehearsed that. Okay, what are we going to do with the difference in testimonies in this story? Did Jesus ask the Pharisees if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath or did they ask him? Do you guys remember one criterion of a really good rabbi? How does a rabbi answer a question? Oh, there it is. Remember the Pharisees said, is it lawful? Which, by the way, what does that even mean? Is it lawful? If he were speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, which he was, and the Pharisees were too, they would have said, right? That's something in Hebrew or whatever, Aramaic. I don't speak it, but what it says is, does the Torah permit? Rabbi, yes. Does the Torah permit healing on the Sabbath? Now, that was a good question, right? How does Jesus answer? Well, let me ask you a question. Does the Torah permit, and notice Mark and Luke's answer and Matthew's, Jesus never uses the word heal. Not once. What does he say? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That's what they say to him. He says, he says, what would you do if your sheep fell in it? And then Jesus says, let me ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Oh, he's brilliant. Jesus doesn't say heal. He says, I ask you. Notice that the answer to their question is in Jesus' question back to them. There's only one answer to Jesus' question. Everyone will unanimously agree that of course the Torah permits us to do good and not to do harm or, or kill, destroy. And that is Jesus' answer to their question. That it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath because healing someone is a good thing. But what they can and are disputing is what kind of good. What they can dispute and what they are disputing is what kind of good is allowed on the Sabbath and is healing someone the kind of good that's allowed. 
Guys, it's extremely important to remember that the healing of anyone did not come by the power of the guy performing the miracle, the act, that, that came by God. Miracles were seen by our ancient ancestors as a type of trump card, okay? If there was a dispute between two rabbis on a matter of interpretation, and one of the rabbis says, you know what, I'm right, and to prove I'm right, I'm gonna ask all these trees to be uprooted and fly in the air. And the other rabbi says, <laughs> good luck with that one. And the guy says, all right, Lord, if I'm right about this whole not baking in a certain kind of oven, please uproot all these trees around us and make them float in the air. And they go. Okay, if I'm the other rabbi, right, after I go and I change my shorts and I come back and I say, oh my gosh, what do I now know? That he was right and actually God supported him and the miracle came. Blow my mind, right? Okay. In effect, when Jesus heals the man with the withered hand, everyone will know that it is not Jesus who's the source of the miracle, but God himself. Jesus can no more conjure up a miracle than he can fly. Jesus can't fly. Not before he's resurrected anyways. Afterwards, he can fly, apparently, because he, you know, ascends into heaven. So if Jesus isn't the source of the miracle, but God himself is, and the man's hand is fully restored, then what would that say about how God feels about this kind of healing on the Sabbath? He's supporting what Jesus has to say. And God apparently thinks that healing is a good thing. And it can be done. It's permitted in the Torah on the Sabbath. If Torah doesn't permit that particular class of doing good, then no miracle is going to happen, guys. If Torah does not agree with Jesus' definition of saving life on the Sabbath, the man won't be healed. Even the Pharisees themselves recognize that Jesus cannot be the source of his miraculous power. Because in Mark 3, they say, that's not God doing that miracle through him. Don't y'all be fooled. You know who that is? You know how this, this uh, quack over here does miracles? Power of Beelzebul. By the, by the prince of demons, this guy casts out demons and heals people. See, even they know. They have to discredit Jesus' source because Jesus is just a guy. But when Jesus says, watch this, God, God, uh, God sides with me. And then Jesus keeps doing these miracles. What are they going to say? That's not God. That's Satan. You know what else it says about them? It says that they feminately, viciously disagree with God. And God's interpretation, by the way when they don't accept Jesus' miracles and say, ah, that's a bunch of garbage. Okay. When Jesus places good against harm and saving life against killing, what do you think he means? Jesus places good against harm. Saving life against destroying it. What do you think he means? Not all at once, because then there's just 
pure chaos and a cacophony of sounds. And what does he mean? Jesus says, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? So he thinks there's only one answer? You think he knows there's going to be what? Okay, all right. Guys, first of all, it's important to realize that both Jesus and his opponents, neither one of them believe that you can just do any old kind of good just because it's good on the Sabbath. Let me say that again, because I don't think that hits us. Jesus does not believe that you can do good on the Sabbath just because it's good. He does not believe that at all. He's Jewish and he knows the law. He can't anymore say, well, hey, anything that's good, you can just do on Sabbath. Building a house for somebody, is that a good thing? Can I do that on Sabbath? No, I'm not. Absolutely, I cannot do it. I've just violated Exodus, what, 31? You shall do no work. Okay, so we're getting there. Can I fix somebody's wagon wheel for them? free of charge on Sabbath. I cannot. Even Jesus says, no, you can't do that. Why not? Because it's Sabbath and you can't work on the Sabbath. But then Jesus says, but I can do this work over here. Why? Why can I do this work, but I can't do this work? Yes, it has to do with life. Is life at risk? The kind of good that is allowed to be done. And by the way, did you see the Hebrew poetry here? Did you see the Hebrew parallelism? What is Hebrew poetry? Hebrew parallelism. Mm -mm. It's when you say the same thing, exactly the same thing, and you say it in two different ways. Good is to saving life as Harm is to destroying it. So Jesus says, oh, you want to know what class, what type of good is allowed on the Sabbath? I'll tell you. It's the kind of good that leads to or results in saving life. 